Welcome to this Timely Topics episode of The Work Podcast. Our guest today is my co-host, John Sumser, who happens to be a leading expert on the topic of artificial intelligence. And with AI pretty much everywhere you turn in the news, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to talk to John and get his opinion on AI ethics, AI audits, and especially New York City Local Law 144 and what that means to the workforce. So, John, thank you for joining me today. Oh, this is going to be fun. Thank you. And 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 remember, I turn around is fair play. And so, so. <laughs> uh oh, that's very foreboding. I'm going to put that aside for now. <laughs> so, so John. AI has become mainstream. 60 Minutes, CBS 60 Minutes had a show um, Sunday night about AI. And, you know, Scott Pelley got all misty eyed when AI was able to write poetry. What does that mean to us as consumers and business people? Uh, does that mean it's a reality for all of us now? So I, I kind of object to the use of the term AI for all of this stuff. There are some really, really interesting things going on. And the world is changing as a result. But, but what we're talking about are tools that are just really good at predicting the next word. So the, these are great word guessing machines. This is like, Imagine your ideal partner for the Sunday morning crossword puzzle over some coffee and some bagels. That's that's what we're calling AI. And and it would be nice to have an intelligent partner for crossword puzzles. But there's some serious problems about the mad, passionate embrace that's going on. There's some serious questions there that are um worth an exploration. I think the, I think the biggest thing that that I would like to leave the people listening to this with is it's early. And a lot of what looks like it is a permanent face of things isn't. That's um, interesting. We, we don't know what's going on and uh, the the people you should be most suspicious of are the people who are sure that they know what's going on. <laughs> well, there are plenty of those. I don't know if there you've certainly been are. <laughs> I've been observing this cottage industry that has suddenly cropped up of all these AI experts and AI audit experts or bias audit experts. And in fact, you know, it's so funny. Um, as you know, I, I programmed the Women in HR Tech Summit at the HR Tech Conference. And I reached out to one of these AI experts the other day and they told me their speaking fee was $50,000. And I thought, holy moly, how could you have amassed that much expertise in such a short period of time that you warrant that kind of price tag? So so it sounds like we're nascent. We're in the early stages of this. Uh, any, any, I don't know, do you have any analogies, other periods of time when we had a similar trajectory? Oh, sure, sure. This happens over and over and over and over and over again as technology emerges and things change. So, so I've been reading about what the world was like when Gutenberg introduced the printing press. Ah, yeah. Um, and there were a lot of uh, monks who had spent um, decades learning how to do illuminated manuscripts that were kind of put out by the development of the printing press. And 
um, you know, that, that story is pretty interesting because the early printing press products tried to emulate illuminated manuscripts. And it wasn't until maybe a hundred years later that the current idea of the book actually started taking shape and form, which is, you know, a cover, a title page, a table of contents, an index, chapters, um, standard font all the way through the material. Um, those things were not immediately um, observed. Right? It took a while to arrive at the working definition of the new media. You know, and, and so then you go, I, I, I watched the best interview the other day with Letterman interviewing Seinfeld on the occasion of a big Haley Award that Seinfeld received for comedians getting coffee in cars. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing, I didn't know this, the whole thing was an experiment in new media. <laughs> he, he wanted to know, <laughs> how could you have a talk show that moved around, that wasn't scheduled, that had low production costs and had no narrative? And so, so the answer was comedians getting coffee in cars. Um, and he did something that hadn't ever been done before. That'll probably be the prototype of other kinds of um, non-scheduled talk show kinds of entertainment going forward because he's a smart guy. And so watching Letterman and Seinfeld talk about how new media evolves and how to experiment inside of new media is a kind of thinking that I wish people who were running into the um, uh, large language model chat GPT stuff would take some time to pay attention to. I love that dimension dimension of, of uh, the Seinfeld story. That's great because he was looking at it from a totally different perspective than, than ultimately the consumer is consuming it. You know, one of the things that strikes me about AI and, and, um, this is going to sound like I'm very jaded, but obviously a bit on the internet for decades at this point, is that AI is looking at what's on the internet. So its source of information is what is already on the internet. So where's the creativity? Where is the innovation? I mean, if that's your source material, aren't you just regurgitating things we already know? perhaps more quickly? Uh, that's, a, that's such a great question. That is such a great question. And I think the answer is the creativity is always where the creativity is. It's in um, the human being with a curious itch. It's not in the machine. You, you, you don't get creativity out of machines. You get responses out of machines. Mm -hmm. And so, so, I'm seeing a lot, and I think it's a good idea. I'm seeing a lot of people focusing on how to ask questions that produce the kinds of answers that you're interested in. So prompt engineering is something that you hear talked about a fair amount. And, and, and um, I've seen some pretty useful guides that tell you how to construct a prompt to get the output that you want. But... This is not how you build enterprise tools, mm -hmm. right? You don't want you don't want the machine to be creative with enterprise tools. So here's the second thing I would like the audience to understand out of this conversation. 
every time you ask a large language model the same question, you increase the likelihood it's going to lie to you. <laughs> that sounds like raising children. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sort of is. But, but the whole idea of a large language model is that it'll give you a novel response to your question. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so imagine now you plug it into an HR system and you have the people in the people in the company going to the HR system asking it questions. Well, but most of the questions that HR gets asked are the same question. Over and over and over. It's the same That's question. A good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Right? People are asking about their paycheck, they're asking about their benefits. There's an element of predictability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and the whole thing about a, a language model is that it wants to give you a unique answer to your question. And so, so if you've got that and you're trying to apply it to HR technology, you have a recipe for a real mess. Mm -hmm. it's a real mess. Imagine installing a large language model-based chatbot that gave you different answers about how much money you made mm -hmm. uh, or different <laughs> answers about what your benefits were, yeah or, yeah, or different answers about whether or not you qualified for family medical leave assistance, um, or, 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 Good points. you Good know, points. Um, if the machine's going to be creative, you don't, I mean, HR has a hard time of it, but you don't really want um, the HR function to engage in creativity in every interaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You really don't, you really don't want that at all. And, and so, so the propensity of a large language model to tell you something different every time you ask it is aggravated by the number of times you ask it the same thing. Interesting. Right. And so, so their utility as enterprise tools is highly suspect, particularly mm -hmm. in places like HR, but it's also highly suspect in places like sales training or sales enablement or marketing where where you have the same kind of thing. So imagine that you put a large language model driven chatbot on your website so that customers can ask you questions. Mm -hmm. You really want it to tell you something different each time about your product. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I see a lawsuit in the future of that. <laughs> well, well, and it's just, it's just, People are in such a hurry to feel in control that they're not taking the time to understand what they're being told about these things. Yeah, that's an interesting observation, John. Yeah, um, yeah. And and so so I get it. You you know, it seems to me that when I look at my social media flows and I look at my work and I look at the products that are out there, everything is yelling at me to hurry up. Mm -hmm. I, I get, it's like, I don't even want to look at it sometimes anymore because it's just going, hurry, 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 hurry. And <laughs> what is called for right now isn't hurrying. What is called for is a really deep breath and some sober reflection and some experimentation, but no people who are swinging for the fence trying to hit a home run with this stuff right now are the second class of people after those who think they know what they're talking about. Uh, the second class of people yeah. you want to stay away from. 
So, so you know, I saw this very interesting quote um, uh, earlier today from a conference that's held up in uh, Toronto, and um, it basically said, you know, ninety nine percent of the people are doing what you've just described, and that is the hurry, hurry, hurry. We have an AI solution. We're all better, faster, you know, onwards and upwards. And the one percent is holding back and saying, wait a minute, let's take a look at what this can and cannot do. And also, what are the ramifications on society and policies and, you know, other issues that other variables that are not being considered, but that could certainly be impacted. Um, you know, should there be some guardrails in place for this? Should there be some oversight? Well, let's 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 use that as a segue into New York City 144. Okay. What a dumb! Can I swear on this? I probably can't swear on this. <laughs> it oh, might impact our search score. I think that's yeah. where <laughs> well, <laughs> there well, are well, certain words we really aren't supposed to say. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of a word that rhymes with truck that uh, starts with cluster. Got um, it. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm sure everyone listening has it now. <laughs> yeah, so, that is unusual, isn't it? This this, you know, local law 144. Well, well, it's you you know, you cannot fault it for good intentions, but but um the road to hell is paved with those. Um and the good intentions are if you're being evaluated by a machine, you should know and you should have some recourse. Um, but, and I think that's right, I think that's right. But the practical description of what they do, they ask for a once a year analysis of bias consequences of using a tool. Right, that's, that's what the law asks for. Mm -hmm. And what you can't tell in a once a year analysis based on outcomes is whether it was the machine or the people using the machine that caused the outcome. Mm -hmm. You can't separate those things. And because um, companies have the liability for the decisions that they make, the vendors are just going to sit there and go, we can't, you know, go ahead. But, but you can't blame us for decisions that you make. Um, and so, so there'll be audits, useless, waste of time mm -hmm. audits. That's what um, I had a feeling, yeah. In yeah. great numbers, um, with, with pearl-clutching uh, academics whispering and wishing about how bad things are, mm -hmm. um, when this is a dynamic system question. And so, and so what's going to be required and it, what is useful is something that's more like a comprehensive pay equity analysis. And a comprehensive pay equity analysis is not a fixed point in time thing. Anytime somebody is hired or anytime somebody leaves a company, it impacts the balance in the pay equity equations and you mm -hmm. have to rerun the entire thing to see what happened. Yeah. You know, and you can move that out to weekly or maybe even monthly if you're a small enough company, but you can't wait a year to see. A year is a lifetime in this accelerated business and, environment. And, 
And yeah. what you'd like is something more like an inline filter that tells you what's going on moment mm -hmm. to moment to moment to moment to moment. And you yeah. measure it like you measure machine performance in the old days where there's <laughs> there's variability around a line. And what you're trying to do is keep the variability around the line in check because nothing is perfect. You can't hit the numbers perfectly all the time. You hit them in waves over time. But you don't want to have spikes. You don't want to have have the spikes up and spikes down. Or um, if you have if you have spikes and you have recovery, that seems like you you know. So let's say let's say all of a sudden you find that you have a need for data science data scientists of a sort who are most likely to come out of MIT. Mm -hmm. That's going to spike your numbers. It's absolutely going to spike your numbers because MIT is not a um, particularly diverse environment. Um, True. Right, and so and so mm -hmm. so so, yeah. so let's say you need that to make your company work, and so you mm -hmm. you, you you do that. Well, it gives you a spike, mm -hmm. um, and um, if what you're doing is um, looking at bias on the system level, you need to see the spike. And you need to correct for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's it's like sailing or something. You know, the wind kicks up, you get pushed off course, you tack back, and you get back on course, and that's mm -hmm. how you run a business, and that's how yeah. you should run a a bias checking operation because you can't be uniform in this. You have so, to be something other than that. Well, so so is New York City totally missing the mark then by putting this law in place? Well, there's an even worse part which is a candidate has 10 days um, to ask for an alternative assessment method if machines are being done. And so what that ah. means is that in order to comply, in order to comply with the law, you have to extend your time to hire by 10 days. And you have to have an alternative to... But then you have the to have AI an alternative powers. to yeah. the AI thing, which probably wow. means um, a human being looks at it mm -hmm. um, and is the single best way I know of to introduce more bias. Bias, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this so, is a so, hamster wheel if ever I've seen one. <laughs> so, so I got to, bias is such an interesting topic. I got to tell you, I can't tell you the name of the vendor, but but one of the vendors I talk to fairly regularly has done something that's really interesting. They have tested using candidate assessments as part of their process. Mm -hmm. And um, they, you can, they tested two approaches to candidate assessments. Approach one was everything's transparent. You, your name is known and the assessor's name is known. Mm -hmm. And approach two is your name isn't known and the assessor's name isn't known and it's a total anonymous assessment that then rolls back into your file. In the African-American community, 40% of people would follow through on an application process that had transparency about who and what, and 85% would follow through if it was completely anonymous. Interesting. And that reflects the, you know, that reflects the data that you've seen everywhere, which mm -hmm. is that um, if you if you fill out an employment application and your 
ethnic identity becomes obvious, decision-making skews, and, and people are really aware of that. From and the so, beginning. Yeah, from, from the, the beginning. beginning. And, so, and so what they found was that in a transparent, everybody knows everything about everyone process, African-American candidates stopped applying once they hit this juncture. And when they made it anonymous, they went all the way through the process. Um, and so, so that's a that that's the, the story. There is that some of bias is signaled in ways that you wouldn't even believe signal bias, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Well, and, that we wouldn't think <laughs> because we're both white, and right. you know, I, I I can tell you as as a woman with a first name that can also be a man's first name, by the way. Um, there have been circumstances where people were expecting a man and I showed up. So I, I hear what you're saying. Um, it's it's This is a very interesting conversation. We are so early stage with all of this. We think we have this figured out and we don't, John, do we? Oh, man. Well, you, you know, so I've spent, I've spent much of the last five or six years trying to focus my conversations so that they're with people whose lived experience I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And um, every day, still, every day, my eyes are open about how many assumptions I make about what's normal and what's not normal and who's mm -hmm. normal and who's not normal. Right. Um, and I'm flabbergasted. I am flabbergasted by how much I've missed. And when I yes. say I missed it, I mean, I'm flabbergasted by the depths of my own bias. Um, and Because you were living a life that is defined by your set of experiences. I mean, each of us think we're normal. So, right. you know, when somebody calls us out and says, this isn't normal, we then have to reflect on our own life experience and say, wait a minute, we didn't have this level of awareness because why would we? So it's, it's a fascinating quandary. So I'll take you down one more rabbit hole with one more story here. Um, <laughs> we have, yep, we've got about three minutes left. No, you might run by. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so another really good friend of mine who is a recruiting leader um, um, took the standard set of interview questions that the company has and put them in an interview manual. And then he had the company's employee resource groups evaluate the interview question. And what he got back from the employee resource groups was, we don't know what you're talking about here, here, oh, here, 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 and here. We don't have that experience. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Right? And, so, and so many companies have these employee resource groups, and they are an essential component of trying to figure out what to do mm -hmm. about bias. And... What you can do about bias, it's, it's, there, there are good and useful laws about discrimination and disparate impact. Um, they don't really function very well when the bias question gets turned into statistic. So you end up with people, instead of doing what my friend did, asking the ERGs mm -hmm. where there's bias, they take the idiot notion that 80% 80 um, 80 non-bias is good enough. This is the four-fifths mm, rule that, okay. that the, the EEOC 
if you talk to the commissioners at the EEOC, they go, if there was one thing we would kill, it was this idea that there's a four-fifths rule. Mm -hmm. There's not a four-fifths rule. There's a rule that you can't discriminate. Mm -hmm. But if you go look at all the vendors, they're yeah. selling the four-fifths rule. Yes. And the four-fifths rule is 20% of the time it's okay to discriminate. Mm. Except if you're the individual who's being discriminated against. Right, right. It's just, it's just, it's just dumb. It is um, dumb. It is dumb. I hope AI is going to fix this, John. But, well, I think I think eventually there are some positive things to look forward to, but but we're so early and people are so busy trying to put the, the genie back in the bottle that the genie isn't having a, having an adequate time to... Um, um, show us what it can do. Actually. Yeah. Well, I think this is the first of many conversations that we're going to have on the AI topic. And I know our listeners are excited to have this dedicated channel from the work podcast, uh, especially featuring your depth of expertise. I, um, I know you're involved in some of the most sophisticated work in this particular category. So we're always grateful to have your time. Uh, any parting thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, curiosity is so important right now. And, um, you, you know, when, when you have to when you have to go train a large language model to answer some question for you, it's really like a conversation. You can't ever take the first answer that you get. The first answer is a reason for you to sit and think and make sure you ask the question in a better and different way so you get something mm. that's closer to what you're looking for. And I find if I want to get a useful answer, it probably takes 20 minutes of question on average, and some take a lot longer um, to just get the answer that is actually meaningful, that I can feel comfortable, hasn't been inflated because it wants to give me something novel. Um, and that takes work. It takes work. And so, so this is so, proceed with caution is what I'm hearing. Or proceed with curiosity and don't let being in a hurry interfere with your curiosity. So miles to go, miles to go. Well, this miles is the work, <laughs> this is the work podcast with John Sumser as our guest today. He is co-host, and my name is Jean Achille, and we're delighted that you were able to join us. So please stay tuned for continued episodes of the work. Have a good day. <laughs>